Let's open our Bibles, please, to the 119th Psalm, if you will, please. Psalm 119, we'll pick up our studies with verse 73. Verse 73. We've tried to prepare four sections, this one and two more, or three more. And there are eight verses each, and there's a lot of good things found in this 119th Psalm that if we put it into practice, a lot of good instructions. And this particular section deals with God's man and his influence. And every verse of this section starts with the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, J-O-D. If you notice up the top, J-O-D, look at that little symbol beside it, or that little dot, so to speak, kind of like a, an apostrophe. You see it? That's the letter. That is the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it stands for J-O-D or J-O-T, jot. And it corresponds with the word, with the letter I in our alphabet. And remember, Jesus said that one jot or one tittle of the law. Matthew 5, verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He was as much as saying there's not just a little dot that will pass from the law. That every bit of God's word will stand forever. And so, this is the section. And every verse in this section deals with this smallest letter and starts with this smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Though we don't see it here in reading the, our translation, uh, you know, into the English language, it's still there in the original uh, Hebrew alphabet. So, let's look at it. Verse uh, 73 says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. In this first verse, we learn that we are fashioned by the hands of God, that He has made us. In uh, Psalm uh, 100 and verse 3, it says, uh, Know ye that the Lord, He is God, it is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. It tells us who we are in, in a spiritual way, too. He's not only created us, but we belong to Him by redemption, and we're the sheep of His pasture. And there's a lot more that uh, is spoken of in that 100th Psalm. In fact, that's a wonderful Psalm to be studying if you'll study the 100th, and we've already uh, passed that in our lessons. So thy hands have made me. Hold your place where we're studying in the 119th. Always hold your place there, because if we give you a reference, we'll come immediately back to it. Unless I get to chasing rabbits, and then it'll take us a long time to get back to it. Thy hands have made me and have fashioned me. Give me understanding. Look. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Good character also comes from the Lord. God gives us understanding and we learn his commandments and it changes our uh, person. In verse 74, they that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. Look at this. God's man and God's people are welcome among other of God's people. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me. Aren't we glad when we see each other? They that fear the Lord. They that fear thee. And you know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God. And that means to reverence God, to hold Him in high esteem, to bow before Him, to actually believe that God is to, is to be uh, revered in the very highest sense of the word that we are humanly possible to do. And those that have that attitude toward God, that, that kind of makes us feel real bad when we hear people taking the name of the Lord in vain, don't, doesn't it? Uh, when we know God is to be uh, feared. 
And God's man is welcomed among God's people. And then notice the last part of this verse. Because I have hoped in thy word. And we should hope in God's word. Our hope is found in God's word. It's through God's word that we have hope. The book of uh, Romans, I believe, is chapter 15 and verse 4. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Now listen, the writing of the Scripture, the Word of God. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, the Word of God again, might have hope. Patience and comfort of the Scriptures. We get patience, we get comfort, and then through that we might have hope. And all the Word of God, even this we're reading, and all the Old Testament, and that's what Paul was referring to in Romans 15 uh, verse 4. And then if, if Paul said whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, then that means we should be studying exactly where we are, all the Old Testament, and learn it as well as the New. Have you ever heard folks say, well, I just study the New Testament? Well, if you study the New Testament and you really study it, you're going to study the Old Testament too because it refers you back to the Old and you're going to have to combine them. We used to have a preacher speak of a guy coming in the pulpit with just a New Testament. He says, well, when I come, I come loaded with both barrels. I have a double barrel shotgun, you know. And the Word of God is, is like that. It, it has a, two, a two-fold effect, doesn't it? We have the old and we have the new. And uh, then we find in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. God, God's man knows what is right because God's word teaches us what is right. And when it says thy judgments, it here means general orderings and decisions and dealings, not only God uh, ordering us in all things, but even the afflictions. It says, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. These are judgments, all right, but it means all of God's orderings and God's directions. And he knows that they are right. We should recognize that whatever God does, he does well, he does right. Uh, We don't have really the ability with our small minds to understand exactly at all times what is really right. We know that we're guided in the right direction, but God knows what's right in all things, and he can twist he can change the twisted things of our lives and the things that seem to be uh, crossways and maybe not as clear to us and make all the right come out uh, for you and I. Now then, let's notice uh, verse 76. Verse 76 says, Let, I pray thee, thy mercies, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to thy word unto thy servant. Now look at what he says here. God's man expects mercy according to God's word. And God's uh, mercy will come to us because of his word. He has promised us his mercy. And all of his exceeding great and precious promises are going to uh, be uh, extended to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So he's the Father of mercies, and he's the God of all comfort to us. When we think again of God's mercies, I want to think, I want to refer you to Psalm, uh, not Psalm, but Isaiah 26 and verse 3, because we trust in God's Word. Now look at this one. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. You know, every time I think of uh, having surgery, Something that's out of my control, which it really is. It's in God's hands. It's in, the, humanly speaking, it's in the hands of those that tend to you. 
the doctors and the nurses and the, and the science and medication. But uh, really, uh, overall speaking, it's in God's hands using these human instruments that are as servants. But it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And so if you have to face uh, some medical problem, some surgical procedure, remember, if you can keep your mind stayed on God, even in the midst of all the anxiety, you know, you get real anxious when you're going to uh, have surgery. And uh, at least I do. I don't know about you, but I don't anticipate any of those things and, and, and welcome them. But God is able to take care and give you peace in heart, knowing it's in his hands. And I trust that even now that he gives a mystery. I don't know how much she knows about it. She's probably uh, highly medicated and all, but I'm sure that she knew that she was going to have to have it. And that's the time that's really bad. And and then the family, too. They're anxious at these times. But if we can keep our minds fixed upon God, he can give us peace and all that, knowing that we're in God's hands. And he can take care of it. I remember one time we were just about to to lose our son. He had hepatitis in the Harris Hospital down there in Fort Worth. We were down there at a fellowship meeting when all this was taking place. And I mean, we had to even put a mask on to go in, a white uh, robe, you know, a cloth covering, and to even stand inside the door. And the doctors thought he was going to die. And, and well, everyone thought he was going to. And... Uh, I went. We were at the fellowship meeting. I went out to, to the fellowship meeting, and I asked Dr. Martin to be sure and have everyone, all the preachers, to, and everyone to pray for him because uh, we just felt like we might lose him. And uh, I remember the very words that Dr. Martin said. He says, "God is able, and God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think." And we have him with us today too. And the Lord raised him up. We just thought we, he was gone. They did. They thought he was gone. And uh, All of the medical stats showed that his liver was damaged. That Well, it was just a bad situation. I could go in detail, but I won't do that at this time. But we thank God for bringing him through that. And he can do that for mystery. He can do that for you. He can do that for anyone. He can do it for Brother Troy and get him over this situation. If we pray that God will take the medicine of the problems and at least help him through whatever uh, he has to face. And we trust in God, and that's all we can do. And sometimes, uh, you know, it works one way and sometimes another, but we put it in God's hands, and that's all we can do is pray. All right, let's look back in this psalm. Psalm uh, 119, and it says in verse uh, 76, let, let I pray thee thy merciful kindness be for my comfort according to thy word according to thy word unto thy servant. Now notice it's thy word unto thy servant. It's God's promise to you and I who are his servants. In verse 77, look at that one. It says, let thy tender mercies come unto me. You see, God's man must have tender mercies in order to live. That I may live. We sing, count your many blessings. Listen, how about tender mercies? Let thy tender mercies come to me that I may live. For thy law is my delight. And it's a certain thing that uh, if we desire God's tender mercies, it will work out for our good and for his glory as he extends them to us. In Psalm 103 verse 4 it says, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth uh, thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. He crowns thee with tender mercies. 
many times we've given you the Psalm of David where he said in Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, o God according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And so he has not only tender mercies, but he has multitudes of tender mercies that are extended to us. And then in the next verse, hold your place in the psalm, the proud are going to be put to shame. God will put them to shame. Verse 78, let the proud be ashamed, for they deal perversely with me without a cause. And when they do that, he says, but I will meditate in thy precepts. You know the best thing we can do in face of opposition of this kind, the proud that deal perversely when there's uh, opposition and when there's uh, the opposing force and the proud dealing perversely with me without a cause, when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, what's the best thing? Look at the last part of the verse. But I will meditate in thy precepts. You just stick to God's Word and you stick to meditating in God's Word and, and things will have a way of working out. And then verse 79, let those that fear thee turn unto me and those that have known thy testimonies. You see, uh, God's man desires to lead good people. He says, let those that fear thee turn unto me. Let me read as far as uh, David was concerned in Second Samuel 5. It says in verse 1, then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Now, those that feared uh, the Lord, and they came to David for help. He says, also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was, thou was he that led us out and brought us in Israel. They turned to David as one that really led them. Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. And so the people then turned to David for leadership and guidance. In verse uh, 80 now of our psalm, Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I may not be ashamed. Now, God's man desires a sound heart. Remember, as David prayed again, he says, Create in me a clean heart, and renew, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And that's what we need. It's a clean heart created and a right spirit renewed within us. Now then, we come to Psalm 119, verse 81. It's a new section. And it says in verse 81, My soul fainteth for thy salvation. Deliverance is sought, but I hope in thy word. How is deliverance sought? We faint, we desire, my soul fainteth. And so when we say, I faint for your salvation, we're as much as depending upon God for deliverance. And divine deliverance is the kind of deliverance we need. Because human deliverance is out of, well, it won't do us that any good. We need divine intervention many times. We help one another and, you know, uh, others help us. And we have human help. And then sometimes we just need that extra divine help and intervention that comes only from God. Because when we give each other instructions and counsel and, and uh, assurance and guidance, but God's deliverance is what we're seeking. In fact, if you look back in the book of Genesis 32, verse 11, let me give you this concerning Jacob when he was seeking deliverance from Esau. Genesis 32, verse 11, he says, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother. From the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come, he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Remember, Esau, Jacob and Esau were not on good terms. Jacob left with Esau threatening his life. And he thought, well now when I return and I meet Esau, he's going to surely want to do me in. Isn't it a bad situation when brothers are afraid of each other? 
that, that's really bad. But it happened in, as far as Jacob and Esau. And you know, you go back and read the story as to why it happened. But the only thing that we're dealing with here is that Jacob was still filled with fear. And God had already softened Esau's heart and it wasn't going to happen like he feared. A lot of times we fear things that are going to happen and they never happen that way. When he met Esau, it was altogether different, wasn't it? You see, God has a way of, of working things out for us if we'll leave it in His hands. And sometimes we just don't do that. And so it's a great thing that, that God worked it out because Jacob feared for his life. He says he's going to kill the women and the children. He's going to kill us all. And it wasn't so. How many times have we feared something that has never happened to us? You know, David says, remember David? The man after God's own heart? The great uh, one, the one that came up against Goliath with a a sling and five smooth, smooth stones from the brook, and he slew that great giant, the Philistine, that came to him in arrogance, and he said, I come to you, David said, in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. And the old giant was threatening him, and he overcame the giant, and he had Saul at his hands time and time again, and wouldn't, wouldn't uh, slay Saul because he would not touch God's anointed, even though Saul was uh, seeking David's life. Saul said, uh, David says, I'm not going to do that to you. He could have. Many times, remember? And old Saul threw a javelin at him. Remember this man? And David said, I will one day perish by the hands of Saul. It never happened, did it? I will one day perish by the hands of Saul. You see, sometimes we just put it up there as if it's written in stone. This is the way it's going to be. It may not be that way. God has a way of making it work out for your, your good and His glory. And that's what we need to trust in. Alright, let's go on with this next verse. Uh, verse 81, My soul fainteth, for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. His hope was firm because his hope was dependent upon the word of God. You see, if God has made promises to you and I, and if we are in such a situation that we can claim that promise, then what do we have to fear? He says, when all this, when I, when I need deliverance, my soul faints for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. He's resting upon the promise of God and his hope is, becomes more firm. Alright, now let's notice something else. In verse 82. Mine eyes fall, uh, fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? His patience was about exhausted, wasn't it? He says, When wilt thou comfort me? Sometimes we get to the place we lose all patience and we want it done right now. So he says, When are you going to do this? Mine eyes fail for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort me? Verse 83. For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do... I not forget thy statutes. His, his body was dehydrated like a wine skin. You know, a bottle in the Old Testament speaks of a skin bottle. It's a wine skin in the smoke, dried up and dehydrated. And just like you throw it in the fire and it just burn up. And I'm become like that. I'm completely exhausted and dried up. I have no strength in them myself. I'm become like a bottle in the smoke. Yet do, do I not forget thy statutes? He still remembered that uh, God's word was dear. When we become dehydrated and dried up and we think that everything is going wrong, yet we find that the Bible is still dear to us. And if we read the Scripture, it will renew our strength and quicken our lives and bring us back again to, to strength. In verse 84, How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? His life had become a burden. He came to the place, he's like Job, Let the day perish when I was born, Job said. You know, it's a sad thing when a Christian comes to the place that his life becomes a burden. How many are the days of thy servant? If we can come to the opposite way of thinking, then David was thinking here and say, 
We don't need to question how many of our days. We've got this day. In other places, when he was up and, and feeling better and had, full of faith and courage, he says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But here he says, how many, you know, how long am I going to have to endure this? How many are the days of thy servant? And then he says, when wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? His patience was about gone, wasn't it? He wanted action and he expected it, but when would it come? And then in verse 85, look. It says, the proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. The proud aimed at his complete destruction. And he knew that God was on his side. That's the main thing. We need to know God is on our side. The next verse says, all thy commandments are faithful. If you have a marginal reference, it says all thy commandments are faithful, and it says faithfulness. That it shows us that God will keep the promises that he's made made to us. We can trust in the promises of God. He knew God was on his side, and he expected divine aid to come. You and I need to be convinced of that. Ephesians 3.20 that says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Romans 8 verse 31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? To know God is on your side is all the assurance you need. And then it says, They had almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. Almost consumed by the enemy, and yet he was steadfast. When you think that your life is almost consumed, or everything is as bad as it can be, but I forsook not thy precepts, find your steadfastness in God's word. Yet he did find that steadfastness in God's word. And then in verse 88, it says, Quicken me after thy loving kindness. He needed new life. Quicken me. So shall I keep uh, the testimony of thy mouth. If we have new life and God has given us life, then we need to resolve, like the psalmist, to keep uh, doing God's will. Then will I keep the testimony. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. And since God has given us new life and has quickened us, the word quicken means to make alive, in some instances to resurrect, well then we uh, certainly need to resolve to, to keep doing God's will. And uh, that should be a resolve on the, on the part of every one of us. I'd like for us to turn to the next psalm, and I hope he has some good news about uh, the surgery. I'm sure that's what it's all about. God's faithfulness to his word. Look at uh, verse 89, if you will. It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Look at that. His word is established in heaven. However man's thoughts may be unsettled, God's word is not unsettled. However man's teachings change, and they often do, God's word doesn't change. Settled means it's determined, it's fixed, it's sure, it's immovable. It will remain unchangeable, unchanged and unchangeable all throughout eternity. And notice he says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, in heaven where nothing can reach it. It's unreachable. It will never change because it's out of man's hands to do any changing to it. You know, men have tried to change it, haven't they? But they haven't changed it because it's settled in heaven. God's purpose and God's promises and God's precepts are all settled in his own mind and none shall be able to disturb them or change them. And the power and glory of heaven has confirmed every sentence which the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You know, in spite of all the things that are unsure in this life, in spite of all the things that are changeable in this life, there's one thing that is in this life that God has condescended to bring down to us His revelation that is not going to change. doesn't need any repairing like we preached on Watergate this morning. And we said that wasn't 
a white water gate, or it wasn't the water gate that a lot of people have thought about, but it was symbolical of the Word of God. And we read in that third chapter of Nehemiah where it needed no repairing. And God's Word doesn't need any repairing. It's forever settled in heaven. Jesus said, and we quoted that to the start of our message, in Matthew 5, verse 18, He says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And Jesus said in another place, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. My word is going to stand. Man's word is so changeable. Man's dealings are changeable. Man's ways are changeable. But God is unchangeable. And then we find in verse 90, it says, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. His faithfulness continues from generation to generation. Not only faithful to one man in his lifetime, but to his children and to theirs. To their children's children. He succored his children throughout the years. From one generation to another. You look back in your own life, and your parents, and your grandparents, you say. And you look back in the lives of many of them that were Christians. Maybe some of them were not. I don't know. But you can see God's mercy and faithfulness from one generation to another. Paul told Timothy, he says, The words that I've taught you, the things that I've taught you, the same com- that you should commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And that's the way it's passed down from generation to generation. That's the way the Word of God is to us that, we've, that have come down from the apostles as they preached it in the early uh, churches. And we preach the same things, we receive the same things, and through the generations we still have those same truths being taught. It says the Word of God, Paul told Timothy, that the, word, that the church of God is the pillar and ground of the truth, or the Word. And it is the pillar and ground of the truth. We'll talk to you about all of it in a little bit, Randy. And then uh, we find His faithfulness, is to all generations, thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. The earth remains as a proof of God's faithfulness. Nature is governed by the fixed laws that God has set in motion. And the globe keeps its course by divine command. The Bible says, by him all things consist. That means they're held together. Think of the fact that if God that created all things had just turned them out and wildly loose and not was not in control of them, what would we have in this great... The universe. We'd have calamity after calamity. We'd have, if, if everything was not in its proper place, in its proper function, in proper orbit, what would happen? They already say some of the stars fall out of their place, or some of the meters that we find, and some of those hit other things. But if all of it was just let wild loose, and God did not govern and control. The book of Colossians chapter, uh, if you will, chapter 1. Verse 16 and 17, it says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And by the way, who is this Creator? Jesus. The verse before says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him, by Him who is the firstborn, by Him who is the image of the invisible God, all things in heaven and earth, Visible, invisible, whether they're thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Now look at verse 17. And He is before all things. Naturally, if He's a creator, He has to be before all things. There's the deity of Christ, isn't it? 
And if he is the creator of all things, it says, and by him all things consist. The word consist there means they're, they're glued together or held together. They're held in their proper place. You see, God keeps everything going like it's supposed to be. In this great universe. And we don't even understand how it works, but God has a plan behind it and a purpose behind it all. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And the sun gave its light by day, and the moon by night. And he says he made the stars also. He threw them, he threw them in extra. He just said, I'm going to give you the sun and the moon, then I'm going to throw in all these stars. He made the stars also. And so God has put it all into proper uh, action and function and governed by his laws. So it says, um, they continue this day, back in our psalm, according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. All are thy servants. So this shows us God's faithfulness. And the natural laws of nature are also constant and dependable. That you can depend upon these laws of nature. His mighty power is, in, is ever present. And the spoken word tells us that all things exist and are supported by these laws until now. You know, when God told uh, Noah, remember after the flood, what he would do? He said he'd set the seasons. In the book of Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21. Verse 21 says, The Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. He knew that we were sinners. He says, I've already judged the world because of their sins. And now they're going to have to be personally accountable for what they do. He says, Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. He said, I'm going to set this in order. And he says, Furthermore, Noah, I'm going to put a rainbow in the cloud, and this is going to be a covenant that I will not again smite the earth as I have in, in, Noah's, in Noah's day. And so every time you see that rainbow, it's a token of God's promise that he's not going to judge that which he's already judged. He's already judged it. And by the way, when we see in Revelation chapter 4 a rainbow round about the throne, that means when we stand before that great judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians will stand, that there's going to be judgment mingled with mercy, and that rainbow is going to be around about the throne. And so we're going to stand there to be judged, not to see whether we're saved or lost, but according to our works and to see the rewards and the things that we'll face uh, at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, so all of the elements of nature, back in our psalm now, Psalm 90, verse 92 in Psalm 119. It says, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should have uh, perished in mine affliction. Look at this. His word provides hope and strength in times of affliction. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should have uh, perished in mine affliction. If God's law is our delight, then his Affliction teaches us lessons. His word has shown us that he has made it a law that we be chastened and we be corrected. And we need to not forget the fact that his word does chasten us and correct us. It says in um, Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh in you as in children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We have given them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be as joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. If we let God's word be our delight, everything will work out all right. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should have perished in mine affliction. Verse 93 now. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. God's word is not to be forgotten. Look at the profound impression made by God's word, that we will not forget his precepts. You and I need not to forget God's precepts. And then we find uh, in verse uh, 94, it says, I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. Here's one that seeks the precepts of God. Two reasons are stated here why he expected God's help. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. He belonged to God and he searched God's word. I am thine. If we belong to God, we're the Lord's by creation, we're the Lord's by election, we're the Lord's by redemption, and we belong to the Lord by his purchase price. He says, I am thine. The Bible says that you're bought with a price, you're not your own. And he says, for I have sought thy precepts. The second reason, he searched God's word. And if we search God's word, it's an indication that we want to, to uh, and can expect God's help. I am thine, save me. Save me because I belong to you, and save me because I've sought your precepts. In verse 95, the wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. His safety was based upon God's word. He considers God's testimonies and let the enemy do what he would. And then human perfection is limited. Look in verse 96. It says, I have seen an end of all perfection. We've seen an end of all perfection too, haven't we? Man doesn't have any. The Bible says, listen, there's not a just man, let alone a wicked man, but there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Well, if there's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not, what about the wicked? We certainly know there's not a wicked man. So all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the end of man's perfection. And then it says in verse um, 96, But thy commandment is exceeding broad. Thy commandment is God's word penetrates into every phase of our life, heart, mind, and soul. His commandment is exceeding broad. God's word has an effect upon us that will reach uh, to every nook and corner of our heart. The Bible says the word of God, listen, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, listen, to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You talk about searching something out. And then it says in Hebrews 4, verse 13, that was verse 12, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do, and we do have to do with God. See, God knows about us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows our intentions. He knows everything about us, more than we know ourselves. Have you ever heard young people today say, I went out there to try to find myself. Well, I've tried for, uh, you know, I'm 69 years old and I haven't found myself yet. But God found me a long time ago. You know, he, he knows exactly all about me. 
If you're going to try to find yourself, you better start real early in life because you'll spend a whole lifetime doing it. But the thing about it is, God knows what we're capable of. He knows our sins and shortcomings. He knows everything about our lives. And we should... I don't think we're going to the next section because we won't have time to really do it justice. But uh, if we'll realize that that His Word of God, His Word penetrates into every phase of our lives, in our heart, and our soul, and mind, and it judges the motives, it judges the desires, 